Catherine, when you think about some of your most thrilling travel moments, what kinds of things tend to come to mind? There are literally too many to count, but I always love being out in nature and learning about animals. So I think my most exciting adventures almost all revolve around interacting with and observing wildlife. I see that. You're probably the only person who loves safari more than me. But even more than that, we both love being out in the ocean. There's just something about spending time in the water, literally out of your element, that is both humbling and inspiring. And all the more so when you get to witness marine animals in their native habitat. Some of my most memorable experiences while out in the world have been doing things like swimming with whale sharks off Ningaloo Reef in Western Australia and kayaking with humpbacks on Maui. I completely agree. I still haven't forgotten the feeling of swimming amid hundreds of spinner dolphins off the west coast of Oahu earlier this year. I was simultaneously grinning through my snorkel mask and welling up with happy tears of joy. Their high-pitched songs filled my ears and tugged at my heartstrings. I know it's cheesy, but I really do feel like they're my spirit animal. So when we happened upon the pod and I was allowed to slide into the water from the sailing canoe, it just felt so special. And each time I jumped off the panga from my Galapagos trip with Ecoventura last year, I entered this spellbinding world of massive sea turtles, marine iguanas, penguins, and the most entertaining sea lions who were like a blur of Cirque du Soleil acrobatics all around me. But there can also be drawbacks to tourist excursions with ocean wildlife. I'm thinking of whales surrounded by sightseeing vessels in Sri Lanka, or stingrays dodging and weaving between boatloads of sunburned tourists on Grand Cayman. Yikes. We've all had run-ins like that, sadly, or heard about them. But that doesn't mean we can't seek out responsible, ethical interactions with ocean animals. It just takes knowing what to look for. Welcome to Conscious Traveler. We're your hosts, Eric and Catherine, and we're excited to dive into the world of meaningful, mind-opening travel with you. With our stories and interviews, we hope to make it easier for you to indulge your curiosity and seek out rare experiences wherever you go next. I met our first guest when I was profiling her for The Hollywood Reporter earlier this year. Pierre Narendara is the vice president of film and TV at A-List Media in Los Angeles and a children's book author. But in her spare time, she is an avid scuba diver and wildlife photographer. Pierre has documented wildlife all over the planet and even started a club for fellow entertainment executives to explore the world's oceans. Given her diverse range of experiences, we wanted to get Pierre's take on both where to go for phenomenal underwater scenery, but also how other travelers can make sure they aren't doing harm to the animals or the environments that they visit. Hi, Pierre. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm great. We're really excited to be speaking with you because you've had some really cool adventures. Can you start by telling us a little bit about your history with underwater photography? How did you discover it or get into it? And what are some of your most spectacular experiences thus far? Yeah, any excuse to talk about underwater photography. Uh, I started diving when I was, I think, 15 years old. I was writing my first, this was a YA children's book back in the day, and it was about mermaids and needed to feel like I had the experience to write about that world and so I got scuba certified. I just absolutely fell in love with it. So I've been diving over a decade. And then I would say about three years ago, I was going to Socorro doing a liveaboard trip, you know, off of the coast of Mexico, and finally took the plunge into buying my first real underwater housing and just completely blew me away in terms of the quality of the images you get the messages, you know, you can kind of convey through that. And yeah, I went from there. That's fantastic. I was wondering, you know, if you could give us a brief rundown of some of your favorite places that you've been and some of your favorite animals that you've photographed. Some yes. of the experiences that you've had. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh, where to even begin? So definitely the Mantas and Socorro, super, super friendly, very, very, you know, curious, just, I don't know, if maybe they haven't seen people before, but literally had dives where they would follow us the entire dive, just circling and looking at us with eyes that seemed just very aware. And that's something I like to talk about a lot about having these personal connections to the animals and, you know, breaking down the walls of apathy and a forging connection that makes us care about conservation. Totally. Not just um, like a zoo experience where you're exactly. spectating. But one that you're interacting, sure. Yeah, and I mean, it was so crazy because you would have dolphins that swam up to you and were like almost like asking to be paddled. Like, it was very bizarre, and I was like, no, I don't think I'm supposed to touch you, and, but they would like Aww. just come up. So that was definitely one of them. And then I would say humpback whales swimming with a 20 whale heat run, which is like you know essentially when they're mating and billowing past you as like these underwater submarines. That was in Tonga. That was in unreal experience. I think I came up from the water and was crying <laughs> because of just having witnessed, you know, 20 whales underwater was really, really incredible. I can only imagine that. And I hope I get to have some kind of experience like that. someday. <laughs> I mean, I've only swum with dolphins and smaller things, but the humpback whales just sound like they would be so unreal. And do you feel like they notice you or yes. you're just so much smaller? They, they um, register you? I have some video footage from that experience and it was insane. I was shooting on a wide angle lens and could not even fit all of them into the frame, but they would come right up because you'd drop like, you know, kind of in front of them and they would swim up towards you as a billowing path and they would dive down as they saw you. So they were definitely aware, but you're also so small that like you don't really matter to them. I would say sardine run in South Africa is one of my favorite trips ever. And in that trip, you are warned beforehand that you may have animals bumping into you because you're swimming with a massive bait ball of fish and there are you know sharks dolphins whales birds that are hunting these animals and sometimes they accidentally bump into you <laughs> and that's quite normal that sounds incredible but also a little bit nerve-wracking I, I was yeah. wondering you know diving is one thing photography is another skill are there things that you had to do to educate yourself on how to be responsible when diving and photographing marine animals specifically some of the things that you always have to keep in mind or some of the things that you had to learn in order to make sure you were having a responsible experience with them Yes, 100%. And I love that you guys are asking this question because I think it's something so important that, you know, especially nowadays with social media, there is a certain culture of like just showing off like where you've been or what you've done and doing it for the gram. And for me, it's always like the animals got to come first, right? And mm -hmm. there's definitely an issue we, we talk about in the conservation space of like, where is the line that we draw of how to interact with these animals to show that not to vilify them, sharks aren't as dangerous, but it doesn't really justify, you know, an image of you touching the shark or riding the shark. And I wouldn't say I'm the authority on this, but from my personal experience, it's been observing what the professionals do, you know, looking at the way they treat the animals with respect. And if an animal comes up to you and is seeking your touch, like sea lions are known, I think, Catherine, you've had an experience with this in the Galapagos, but yes. like they're underwater puppies. And I can understand that, but definitely not chasing animals and trying to minimize your impact on them and being aware of that. So do you have a set of rules that you've made for yourself about how close you're willing to get or what you would do if an animal approaches you? Have there been some memorable instances when you've gotten approached underwater <laughs> by some, some creature? 
I was going to say that for me, my camera is generally a, a relatively good distance if I like, hold my arms out with my underwater housing. And so I've used it quite literally to, to bump animals away that get too close. Um, you know, oh, wow. They're, they're curious or whatever. Go away, I, shark. <laughs> Go away. <laughs> I mean, seriously, you, you, you hold out the dome. And it's funny, too, because the dome is reflective. And sometimes sea lions, you know, they're kind of narcissists. They, right, they like sure. to check out reflections. <laughs> but so there's that. And then I would say in terms of experiences underwater, I mean, oh, my goodness. There was one that actually was on land, but it was on a trip to Antarctica. And we were on South Georgia Island with a colony of penguins that was several hundred thousand penguins. And you have these tiny little new fledgling like penguin chicks that are so curious, have never seen a human before. They were just born a couple of weeks ago. And one literally came up to me and was walking over my lap. I was just sitting there like photographing another one and it just came up. And at that point, you're just like, okay, I'm just going to sit here and wait for it to walk off, I guess. <laughs> it gets to do what it wants to do. I, <laughs> yeah. These are incredible experiences that you're describing. And I know how much work and research you do before planning a trip and making sure that you've chosen responsible outfitters and stuff like that. Are there any tips you can give your casual traveler or someone looking to get more into nature and wildlife travel to help them figure out what to look for when planning their trip, how to have a responsible experience and how to pick outfitters who are going to do a good job and put the animal's welfare first? I am obsessed with this question. <laughs> so important to ask all the time. It, again, it goes back to being aware of your impact and especially now with the boom of tourism, right? Like how do we keep these interactions authentic in a way that overall is net positive and not in a way that's treating the, the animals as if you're in a zoo because it's, it's not a zoo, it's they're wildlife. And so I would say doing your research, looking at companies that have worked with, you know, for example, in Mozambique, I dived with called Peri Peri Divers that works with the Marine Megafauna Foundation. And a lot of these places will have joint ventures where you know they'll donate a percentage of their profits to these organizations. So I would say that's a pretty good place to start. And then honestly, feel free to ask the professionals you follow just questions of operators they may recommend. Because as someone in the diving industry, we're always happy to let others know who we like, who has a good reputation. And obviously, I want to help bring them business and would be especially now post COVID, it would be something that I'd be more than happy to share like names of places if people just ask. And I know you've so generously offered as well. If people write to you on Instagram, you're more yeah. than happy to give them recommendations for where they're trying to go or, you know, places you've been as well. Yes, 100%. And it, to me, it's you we want people to have a good experience both in the water and just like knowing that what they're doing is helping to conserve these animals versus potentially harming them. I know we talked at one point too about the idea of being anti-riding sharks, but mm -hmm. being okay with maybe chum baited dives. Mm -hmm. How do you kind of decipher what is sort of an ethical interaction or yeah. man-made kind of scenario and how that affects the animal? Totally. I mean, it, it's such a fine line. And again, I can't speak as the authority. This is just my personal experience on it. But I've done baited dives in, you know, like Bangal Lagoon, in Fiji, which is very known for bull sharks and tiger sharks. I've done them in the Bahamas. I did them in South Africa. It's a very common way of experiencing shark interactions in the wild and kind of the only way you'll see them in certain places. I will say it becomes a question of is the education that you're getting from this experience net positive? And if you're chumming them, how often are you chumming them? How much are you chumming them? Are you changing their behavior in any way? I know there are some people who are anti-chumming and other people who just couldn't care less. 
less. I think there's a, to me, there's a fine line. And then also in terms of like riding sharks, that's just more about like, it's very rare for a shark to seek out to be ridden. Um, I can imagine. (laughs) Yeah. And I I think an image that is you swimming alongside the shark is just as powerful as you riding one. And so to me, that's not a necessity and I wouldn't do it personally. But, you know, again, I think everyone has their own kind of line that they draw. I think that's an interesting point, too, where, you know, I just spoke to someone who runs an elephant camp in Laos Mm -hmm. and he says, you have a different and I would say better experience just walking along with the animal. There's no need to ride it. That does change their behavior. I'm thinking back to a a dive that I did. It was right after I got certified, actually. My first dive in the wild was in Chandravasi Bay in Indonesia with Mm -hmm. whale sharks. And it feels upon first glance like it might not be the most responsible and that the sharks are being baited because the fishermen on their bagans are, you know, tossing bait fish off the side. Mm -hmm. But regardless of whether tourists were there or not, they had to do that anyway to keep the whale sharks out of their nets. And they've, (laughs) they've been doing this for a long time. And then when you ask yourself, has it changed the whale shark's behavior? Sure, they come around when the fishermen are there, but they Mm -hmm. don't all swarm. And then they found that many of these sharks who have been tagged, and this has provided a great research population for them, still roam thousands of miles to the Philippines, down to Australia, and they found them popping up everywhere. So for the time being, at least with the minimal tourism there is, at least, you know, it it hasn't had that negative of an impact. That's actually super, super interesting. And and then you also have situations that are accidental bait dives or or accidental bait opportunities. Yeah, you hope you're not the bait. (laughs) (laughs) But like, I remember literally uh, being in the Bahamas and, you know, they were cleaning fish, like the fishermen were cleaning fish and they just throw the chum in the water. And then you have like 20 bull sharks swimming around and they're like, don't get into the water at that point. (laughs) Well, that sounds a little frightening. I would definitely (laughs) heed their warning in that situation. To go back to the photography aspect, Mm -hmm. though, I'd love to have you talk a bit about how you feel like you've used your photography to educate others about these species and about conservation specifically and how you feel like a photograph can inspire people to maybe participate in saving a species or when they're next in the water, showing a bit more respect for the marine wildlife. Mm -hmm. This has never been about the money for me. It's not about like selling prints or artwork or like trying to establish myself as like someone who's trying to profit off of the industry. It's genuinely out of love for the animals and wanting to showcase how special they are and share these experiences. And again, it goes back to how do we get people to care? So that's personal experiences in the water and also trying to give them an image that might evoke that feeling. So people have come on trips with me and I'll try my best to get a photo of them next to this animal because it gives them something to commemorate and to remember it by. And I do think that in terms of photography, like I will happily, honestly, like give my photos to organizations if it's for a good cause. Like there was the recent Chinese fishing fleet in the Galapagos and there was an Ecuadorian company that asked me if they could use my images. And I was like, 100%, like, here you go, whatever, if it's for a good cause, you know, and it's going to help educate people about conservation, then 100% more than happy to. Well, I find your photos both educational and inspirational. I, for one, (laughs) am looking forward to getting back in the water in part thanks to looking through a few of those quite recently. (laughs) I will happily. I always need an underwater model, Eric. (laughs) Oh, I am in. I'm going to send you my whale shark selfie just so you, you know, have a portfolio of me. (laughs) I think that is a really great point you make for a lot of this wildlife to be sort of saved. It can't be something that only, you know, the top 1% of people who can afford to have these experiences can care about. You have to get other people to care about it who might not have the kind of money or access. And so photography is a way that everyone can appreciate that. 
Well, that's something we talk about too with like, you know, the intersectionality of environmentalism, right? Who is it going to affect? It's going to affect diverse populations, people who are less economically, they just don't have the access. And so on one hand, you don't want to commodify and commercialize the experience like in terms of like huge, huge group tours of swimming with whale sharks. But on the other hand, it shouldn't be this hyper-exclusive experience that's only possible to the top 1% either. So I always think that there's a balance there. Absolutely. What a a great holistic way of thinking about it and hopefully one that will inspire more people to get out there and think about having one of these experiences as part of their travels in the future. I really (laughs) appreciate your time and really speaking to you and hearing your passion makes such a difference. I'll be looking forward to uh, seeing where your trips take you. Amazing. Thank you so much, guys. This was such a pleasure. Thank you so much. We love hearing your stories and seeing your images. Everyone should be following Pierre on Instagram. ASAP. <laughs> Thank oh. you. Keep an eye out for Eric as the next underwater model. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. I'll be at your house later today. I've rented a boat already. <laughs> it might be a while until my underwater modeling career takes off. Until then, one of the experiences I've been dreaming about is swimming with humpback whales, which is only possible in a few places around the world. Oh, me too. It is so high on my wish list. And French Polynesia, a place near and dear to both of us, is one of those destinations. It's also home to the Tetiaroa Society, a nonprofit organization working out of a research eco-station at the Brando, a sustainable luxury resort whose mission coincides with preserving and protecting the natural and cultural heritage of the Tetiaroa Atoll. We spoke to the Tetiaroa Society's executive director, Frank Murphy, about the magic of swimming alongside humpbacks and how we can help protect these gentle behemoths. So Frank, we're reaching you in Morea, is that correct? Yep, that's right. Wonderful. Well, we wanted to just get right to it. Humpback whales migrate through the Tetiaroa Atoll every year and French Polynesia. And I know that you've spent decades in the islands and you've been swimming with those whales many times. So could you tell us what that's like? Because neither of us have had the pleasure of doing that yet. And it's on our bucket list. Please, if you could paint us a picture. It's quite an amazing thing to do. The first thing is that, you know, these whales are swimming outside the coral reef, outside the barrier reef. Very rarely do they come into the lagoons. In fact, in Tetiaroa, they couldn't get into the lagoon. So you're out in the big blue. I mean, that's the first thing. And when you get out of the boat with your mask and snorkel on and get into the water, there's nothing below you except for the sunlight diffusing down into the depths. <laughs> and so that's pretty, pretty amazing to begin with. And then when you first see a whale underwater, it really takes your breath away. I mean, they're, they're massive creatures and they're moving as if in slow motion. It's a once-in-a-lifetime kind of uh, adventure. That sounds incredible. I love that they're just too big to get into the actual lagoon itself. And you said that you see mothers and calves, which must add just a whole nother level to the experience. Yeah, that's right. So later in the season, when the adults show up, it's males and females, and then the, the females begin to give birth. So a little bit later in the season, you start having calves. And to see a mother and a calf together is is also just incredible. Basically what happens is the mothers and calves swim slowly in a direction and then they stop to feed. And the mother will just go down to about 10 meters, 30 feet or so, and just lie there suspended. And the calf will go up and down because the calf has to breathe more than the mother does. So the calf will surface and then go down and feed and then go back up to the surface. And it's at those times when you're watching whales that you get to just sit and watch the mother and calf interaction going on because they're not moving. They're just in one place. So wow, that sounds 
magical, honestly. In order to protect the sanctity of that experience and the animals themselves, what are some of the steps the Brando and the Tetiaroa Society take to ensure the mutually beneficial experience in the water with marine wildlife and the whales in particular? Well, there are rules for all of French Polynesia for whale watching, and everybody has to follow those rules. We're quite lucky in Tetiroa because we're the only company that's going out and watching whales. In other islands, you have more than one company, and so in any one whale experience, you might have you know, up to about six boats around you. But in our case, that doesn't happen. So there are pretty strict rules about how you watch whales. You can't approach a whale within 100 meters, and there are speed restrictions and that sort of thing. When you're in the water, you're not supposed to approach a whale within 30 meters, so 100 feet. And our guides are very careful about how all that works. And, you know, we explain the rules when people get in the boats, so they understand why we're doing what we're doing and why the boats are going slowly and why they're staying between the reef and the whale and not forcing the whale towards the reef and, you know, these sorts of things. And then before there's a chance to get in the water, and I should say getting into the water with whales is very dependent on the situation, the weather, of course, but really how the whales are reacting. So we're very careful about, you know, if you stay with a a mother and calf pair for a while and you're watching them and they're very calm and they're not at all paying attention to you, that's the time when you can get in the water. But again, you stay 30 meters, 30 yards away. If the whales approach you, that's another thing. And if sometimes you get to be really lucky and the whales come over to check you out and you just have to stay in place and let them do their thing. But yeah, the rules are there for a reason. Uh, We really don't want to impact the whale's behavior. We don't want to make them nervous, especially when the calves are around. So we're very careful about that. Speaking of, when we go on safaris and a lot of times with the bigger mammals, elephants and the lions and the leopards, the guides usually say our presence doesn't really bother them. They could care less that we're sitting there watching them. But in the case of whales, are there downsides or risks of us as humans entering their environments without taking those sort of precautions? Yeah, again, it depends on the behavior of the people. And if you're following these rules and you're very careful about how you approach them, I don't really think there is a bother to them. Now, they certainly notice. They know you're there. They're very, very aware. I mean, that's actually one of the things that you learn after whale watching for a while and being in the water with them is that they are very aware of where you are. And, you know, it's not like this big, huge animal isn't paying attention to you. They are. (laughs) But having said that, after all the years of doing it, I really don't think that a, a thoughtful observer, somebody who's being careful about it, is bothering a whale or the calf. I mean, I think they certainly notice you. The calves sometimes are very curious. They might swim towards you and check you out. It depends on how you feel for animals having interaction with people. But I don't think there's a negative part to that. Well, on the flip side of that, is there a benefit then to the animals? Do you feel that when people have these kinds of intimate, up-close experiences, they feel compelled to participate more in conservation? Is that a side effect or intended benefit of running these experiences? Or do you think maybe it would just be better to leave them alone completely? No, I certainly think that there's a benefit for people to see whales in nature. And I, you know, that goes for most of nature tourism and cultural tourism, I mean, that's the whole point, is to bring people to a place to show them 
nature and culture to teach them about it, to have them go away with a new found awareness of it. And with whales, that certainly is the case. And then again, the experience of being with a whale, whether it's just watching it swim by or being in the water with it, is a profound experience. And I think that it affects people deeply. Whether or not they go and put money into Greenpeace or something like that, I don't know. But it certainly is something that adds to their appreciation of nature. And I think that's important. And it's part of what we do in our nature-based tourism. I remembered a dream I had last night that was very vivid about me actually swimming with whales. It must have been a foreshadowing of this interview this morning because I dreamed so vividly (laughs) of being, although I was in a lagoon of sorts and there were whales everywhere, orcas and humpbacks and also sharks. But (laughs) Frank, I'd love to know what sort of tips you would give to travelers who are researching or planning these sorts of excursions in French Polynesia or other destinations around the world. What questions should they be asking of the operators or resorts they're considering? in order to make sure they're not getting into a situation that's, you know, insensitive to the animals? They can ask what procedures they follow for whale watching, and and they ought to be able to to produce that. And you can easily look up online international rules for whale watching. I mean, they're slightly different by place, of course, but generally the same. So that's important. When you arrive in a place, if you haven't done that, you can talk to the people before you purchase the tour and ask them what rules they follow, that sort of thing. The places that you go to that where there's a lot of whale watching, it's a pretty good guarantee that everybody's following the rules because they're watching each other. But, you know, I mean, if it's a really remote place and it doesn't seem like it's a real professional operation, you might just ask them about it. That's good to know. And keep in mind. I should say also your dream last night. I, I saw a post from a scientist friend of mine on Facebook yesterday, and he's actually working in Morea right now. In fact, at this moment, he's probably heading out onto the reef. They do an annual fish count. He's working out of the UC Berkeley Research Station here on Morea. And he said the whole day yesterday that he was in the water counting fish, he was hearing whales singing. Why can't we be there? (laughs) I know. Yeah, these are the humpback whale males that are singing, presumably, to attract mates. Boy band, uh, underwater boy band. I love it. And they're hanging in the water. They're probably 20 meters deep, 60 feet deep or something like that. And they're singing and you've all heard this, the singing that they do, the recordings of it, I'm sure. But it's quite amazing. And it's really loud. Underwater, it's really loud. He said all day long they were listening to the symphony. <laughs> that is so incredible. I actually, the very last sort of real trip I took before all the shutdowns was to Lanai. We took a boat out one afternoon before sunset and the captain of the ship dropped an underwater microphone. We were hearing the whales around and it's awe-inspiring. It is such a cool sound and then you can feel their presence so close to you even if you can't see them it's just magical i'd love to know is there anything in particular that you feel like being around the humpback whales over these years has taught you or that you've learned from them well i think it is a very curious thing that i mean at least for a human i guess and you know looking at this giant animal to realize that they're incredibly aware of you and that they know exactly where you are and you know i mean if you really begin to think about it it's pretty obvious they're in their environment just like we are in our environment but it's such a strange environment for us to be in the open ocean with every angle every direction there's just nothing except water but i've had situations where the mothers the adults have swam by and stuck their huge pectoral fin out and it's come within you know a few feet of me and the first time it happened, it terrified me, and I was back swimming, swimming away, you know, very quickly because I thought, <laughs> it's, it's going to whack me, you know? But it, it wasn't going to whack me. They know exactly where I am, 
and they know exactly how long their pectoral fin is, just like we know how long our arm is, right? And so it wasn't that at all. It was just, you know, kind of planing by with this huge pectoral fin. And it's amazing, you know, I mean, it just makes you realize this other animal in this completely foreign world is just as aware as we are about its surroundings. That's such a great lesson and a reminder of how important it is to be respectful of both the animal and their environment. What are the months of whale season? Well, they begin to arrive in late July and they leave in early November. And that's a normal year. But early and late, you know, your chances are, are thinner of seeing them. So really the best months are September and October. And, and the other thing is that by late August, you know, the calves are around as well. So, and that just gets better and better as the calves get a little bit older and get ready to swim back down to Antarctic. <laughs> They're all fun to watch with the mothers. And I have such a weakness for baby animals of any species. So I will definitely be putting that on my calendar for a future year. Yeah, right. like watching whale kindergarten. Thank you, Frank. I hope you get to swim with some of these magnificent animals again soon. After hearing his stories, I can't wait to get back out into the water. Me too. And though I would love the experience of swimming with humpbacks, one of the most fun things I've done has been to swim with the wild dolphins in Rockingham, which is outside of Perth in Western Australia. In so many scenarios, dolphin swims are super controversial and honestly, really heartbreaking when they're in amusement park or aquarium settings. I could go on and on about what I've learned regarding that awful industry, but you went out with Perth Wildlife Encounters, which takes a holistic approach. That's right. They take visitors like me out in their ship and try to find where the dolphins happen to be swimming that day. There's no feeding them and no playing with them. Once they do, guests can hop in the water in carefully managed numbers and simply float with the dolphins as they go about their business. When I first heard about it, I thought, hey, I'd rather find a way to interact somehow. But the experience of seeing these intelligent creatures watching us as much as we were watching them was transporting, I guess is the word for it. I know what I'll be doing next time I'm in Western Australia. In the meantime, though, we're going to talk to Perth Wildlife Encounters Executive General Manager, Chad D'Souza, about their unique ethos. So, Chad, good morning over there in Perth. How are you? Very well, Eric. Thank you. Good to hear from you. Catherine and I were talking about swimming with wild creatures in the sea, and I was telling her about my time with Perth Wildlife Encounters just about 10 years ago. The company's been around for 30 years, though. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the ethos, and then also maybe tell us about one of the facts that I learned on, on my swim, which was just how much longer wild dolphins tend to live than those in captivity and why that is. Yeah, sure, Eric. We started this adventure 1989, so one of the owners, Terry Housen, had a vision of swimming with a wild dolphin and he spent about nine months out in the ocean in his own um, little boat and jumped off every day to try and observe the dolphins in their natural habitat. And he met a dolphin by the name of Logo, which was quite unique to us because since that time, Logo's had a, a lot of family that's been born and has still been swimming with us. But Logo kind of introduced wow. herself to Terry and then started bringing some more dolphins within that environment to Terry. and That's so was, sweet. <laughs> yeah, it was a beautiful experience. It's quite a unique story there. And that was the beginning of what we learned about wild animals is that Terry's ethos there was never to feed them, never to put them in cages, never to keep them in our environment, but to just understand them in a wildlife environment. And, and that's exactly what happens. We would start observing the way they fed, the way they mated, the way they ate, the way they played with each other, the way they interacted with animals. So... After that experience of about 12 months of doing that, he finally brought his first passenger along 
and threw them off the boat and they had that observation off that experience again. So 30 years later, we have about 150,000 people now that come to do this experience. But the ethos there for us is that we will never, ever want to feed them or put them in a, a captured environment. But it's about understanding the animal in their natural habitat. And uh, we're the only place in Western Australia that does this. And a lot of the other places feed their animals. But for us, we're very, very understanding about the conservation, the environment, and especially about our wildlife. I just think it's so wonderful what you all are doing. I absolutely love dolphins. They're probably my favorite animal. I've tried to learn a lot more about them whenever I can and every opportunity. And last year, I saw a film called The Cove, which I'm sure you've seen, Chad. It's just heartbreaking. And I met this activist named Rick O'Berry, who actually was a trainer on the TV show Flipper. And from his own firsthand experiences with the dolphins and training them, and actually the main one that he worked with killed herself. And it brought him to this realization that dolphins should not be in captive environments ever. And they're so social and they're so intelligent. And just it didn't seem like necessarily the interacting with humans is bad if they're in their own natural environment. So I'm just curious what your sort of viewpoint is on the trade-offs of bringing humans into the dolphins environment. Are there downsides or risks associated with that that you try to avoid? What are the positives, on the other hand, of these encounters? We've had uh, a lot of scientists and environment specialists and wildlife experts come to our experience over the many years. With um, a lot of other operators, what we've found is that you know feeding animals is like um, training them to, to do something that they're not likely to do in their own natural habitat. So it's like um, you know training our babies to eat fruit. They're going to learn to eat that fruit, but they're always going to be reliant on it. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, as someone else we spoke to said, it's altering their natural behavior. Absolutely. And they are very, very smart creature. And in fact, they're probably one of the smartest creatures in life. So you're right, Catherine, there. And a lot of them know what to do, how to understand. They interpret things very well. So what we found is that by observing them in their natural habitat, they really want to interact with us and really show them how they're living. You know, they bring their calves to us. We've had babies born in front of us. They show us how the babies are born, how we can take care of them, how we can stay a little bit away from them so they understand when they need to feed. And what I found is that it's kind of like more calming for for humans to interact with wildlife and it's calming for the dolphin to interact with the human and it's kind of that well-being sense. I mean, that's what we find with everyone that leaves this experience. They just said it was so beautiful and calming. And in fact, what we've found lately is that there's a lot of um, children with autism that we've been taking on the boat And in fact, that allows these children to be more calmer in the water when they're observing wildlife. So from my point of view, there's there's more of a positive effect on the way that we swim with wildlife and understand them in their natural habitat than actually caging them and feeding them and making them do tricks and all those kind of things because they do turn and eventually they just want to be left alone and they just want to do their own thing and live the life they want to live. That's incredible. Now, I didn't see any baby dolphins being born on my swim, but the way you describe the experience is very, very accurate to what I experienced, where you just sort of float in the water with a bunch of other people and watch them. And they do, they come to observe you, they play, they go about their business, you know, eating or playing with one another. And then I just remember seeing, I felt it myself, but seeing on all the other passengers' face, just this like blissed out look, like, wow, this is an incredible planet and life is good. How could you have a bad day after swimming with dolphins all morning, basically? Yeah, well, absolutely. I just believe it's really true with anything that's uh, natural and wild, especially wildlife. I mean, if you're immersed in water in any time, I say to people, just imagine yourself you're looking at coral 
fish. It just it takes your breath away. You start to feel this sense of well-being. Um, it's exactly the same with these wild dolphins, but they're such big creatures and they glide so gracefully that once they come right up to your face and turn and look at you and the eyes meet each other, and you kind of get taken away from the world we live in, that's where that well-being, I, I really say to everyone when they come out of that water, how do you feel? And they say, I just felt like I was in a different world that just changed my whole aspect of life. So I feel like you come out of the water as cheesy as maybe this sounds, kind of reborn in a way, like you've just transported to this other reality or world. It's a completely different world from being on land. You can learn yeah, so I, much. I agree. It's always nice to be taken away from your own world and how busy we are. And uh, I guess a lot of people from around the world see this as it's like a bucket list thing to do because they really want to be immersed with nature. They really want to be in water and they want to be safe. And the dolphins, as we know, and the, the story behind it, it all says that how safe they are, how protective they are. So being with them, you know that no matter what happens, you'll always be in that happy life kind of environment where they look like they're smiling all the time and they look like they're playing around you. So it's a beautiful thing. Well, so to take it from a sense of individual well-being and a sense of connectedness to the environment and the animals around one, do you see tourism-driven ventures like Perth Wildlife Encounters as key to conservation and environmental efforts and education efforts on those fronts? And what are some of the impacts that you hope to make as a business? It is very, very key, we believe. We actually took a trip up to China a couple of years ago and we went to uh, Eco Global Awards where we had to present on our ethos again with the environment and the conservation issues. And, you know, there's a lot of beautiful people from around the world. There's some that swam with great whites, some that went bird watching. And there was a very clear message there that if, you know, we don't follow the natural environment of wildlife and try and conserve what we're doing, not only in the water, but outside of the water in our own practices. For instance, with our business, we have a retail office and a, a restaurant, and everything in the restaurant is biodegradable. It's all environmentally eco-friendly, um, mm -hmm. same as the retail office, same as the way we do our boats. So the way mm -hmm. we work with the conservation and the environment officers, we believe that if we don't keep this the way it is, then very quickly the world will swallow it up. And we can see that happening quite a lot. So where we are situated, it's in a, a marine wildlife sanctuary. So we have like 500 species of birds. We have penguins, sea lions, and then dolphins, of course, which are now come to us and play with us every year. And we're a true believer that if we don't take care of this wildlife, it'll just become a concrete jungle. So we're very, very, very forceful in the way that we educate our customers and take that education back with them and start taking it either in their own house or the way they play with wildlife or the way they treat others. So it's a very respectful thing that our guides are training our customers on, but also the message we give our customers when they come back or the follow-up emails we do. It's all about conservation, environment and wildlife. So very forceful on that one. I think that's so great and important too because you know, it's fantastic to have a great time in the water, but then you want to actually know that there's going to be some difference made after the fact, you know, an impact that is lasting or continues with the next generation, especially. And right now with COVID, conservation efforts around the world are so under pressure. And certainly we can't come to Australia, sadly, at the moment. But how do you see Wildlife Encounters and other tourism companies adapting to this temporary new normal and convincing travelers that these sorts of experiences are even more worthwhile and important once they can travel again in a great way social media has been a, a good opportunity for a lot of us i mean although i can see the detriments of it but we love social <laughs> media for the fact that you know we can still educate customers and, and showcase what we're doing 
we've kind of altered some of our tours to suit the new normal um, and how they can adapt to the wildlife. But as far as the training or education or conservation and all those things go, that has consistently stayed the same. We haven't spent less money on keeping that conservation where it needs to be. We work really, really closely with uh, the Department of Wildlife here in Western Australia, especially in our area. And we put a lot of money into keeping the sanctuary the way it should be and, and allowing the dolphins and penguins and sea lions still have their areas where they need to go and feed and, and play. We're still supporting a lot of the charities that involve uh, marine biologists and scientists to come down and observe the wildlife. And if there's any way we can better it, then we're all for that as well. But we're pretty ready for especially the US to come back. We have a lot of followers in the US that come over every year and want to swim with a wild dolphin because um, Western Australia is one of those wildlife gateways anyway that has so much natural wildlife along it that uh, a lot of people want to come now. But as far as conservation goes, we're still very much in full practice. That's for sure. You have two followers in America who would hop on a plane the minute they could, honestly, to come see you and the dolphins. I will um, be there as soon as possible. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but when we are ready to travel then, Chad, I wonder if you might offer us some general advice on what travelers should keep in mind to make sure that they're having that safe, responsible encounter with marine animals specifically, other than visiting you in Rockingham, which I highly recommend to everyone anyway. Respect is about it. When you go out, uh, just treat them like you would be wanting to be treated. Enjoy the experience. Enjoy the well-being, the surroundings, the, the naturalness of it all. Don't try and change anything that you're there. Just wherever you are, whether you're swimming with whale sharks, you're swimming with dolphins, you're swimming with manta rays, just you know, be respectful of the animal and the environment you're around and take that message back and notice how um, the world doesn't need to change by doing anything. All you've got to do is immerse yourself and observe how these creatures are actually surrounding yourself and observing you. And I think you'll take that sense of well-being and practice back into the environment just naturally. You know, every time we jump off the boat and get back on it and go back to the jetty, you just have that sense of, wow, I'm going to change the world. The world isn't so bad at the moment. I don't need to rush and do these kind of things because it, it's naturally occurring. And the respect is the main message that we take back to our travelers is really be respectful of what we have and how appreciative we have of all this wildlife because without it, I think, you know, we might be running around being a bit more crazier than we are. I think that's so true. And I think that's such a great message and idea. I feel like the dolphins just have such a positive kind of energy about them and there is no way you can get out of the water after seeing them and be sad or be upset with the world. So even when we can't be doing it in the moment, I think we can all sort of try to take that lesson from them and cannot wait to get out there to Perth and try to go swimming with you guys because it sounds well, you amazing. Know you guys have always got a free <laughs> boat ride with me and we'll take you off for a private tour and get you with some dolphins. In fact, um, last week we just went out and two calves were just being born. Oh, wow. Um, water. Uh, so, and and we, for the first time, we saw a calf actually breastfeeding the other calf. So wow, that was incredible because those kind of things you don't see where the milk's coming through the water. And like, so wow, it was, it was yeah. a lovely experience. And everyone just came up going, oh, my God, like how truly blessed <laughs> we are to have that kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah, you're witnessing such incredible, incredible miracles. It's amazing. And it's great to hear that you're able to continue having those experiences and provide them for people. So it's giving me a renewed sense of wanderlust. <laughs> and <laughs> <sure>. hope. And <laughs> hope. <laughs> and, and travel is the happiness of all things, and we know that. And um, I truly believe that people just really want to do these things because it, it makes them feel better. Thank you so much, Chad. Oh, it was a pleasure, and thank you. 
Chad describes the experience of swimming with the dolphins in Rockingham so well. It makes me feel like my own swim was just yesterday instead of over 10 years ago now. But that's part of what's so impressive about what they do, that they've embraced this philosophy for so many years, and by doing so, they've changed both travelers' and other outfitters' perspectives about how to provide a meaningful and low-impact experience for their guests as well as for the sea creatures. It's on my list for sure. You can check out some of Pierre's gorgeous underwater photography, some playful moments in the water with the Rockingham Dolphins, and more about Tetiaroa Society at our site, ConsciousTravelerPod.com, and on Instagram at ConsciousTravelerPod. We'd like to give special thanks to Matthew Carpenter, who composed the music you heard in this episode. 